Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. And welcome to episode 44 of the Creative Writers Tool Belt. Now we've been looking at the six stage story process and in this episode I'm going to be looking at the last of those six stages for resolution. And in recent episodes of the podcast I've been starting by summarising the six stage story process for anyone who has just joined and I'm going to do that in this episode. So the six stage story process is a model of how stories work and in describing the model I try to focus on the practical benefits that come from applying that model to your work. I'm drawing on the work of people like the Greek philosopher and scientist Aristotle, the German playwright Gustav Freytag, and the screenwriter and tutor Robert McKee. So here are the six stages and the ways that you can apply them to your writing. First stage sets the context for the story and in that first stage you need to do three things. First you need to capture the reader and that means grabbing their interest and making them care about your characters. Second you have to set the scene. How can you present a setting that your reader can feel drawn into and immersed in? And thirdly you have to prepare for the inciting incident and the inciting incident is stage two of the process and this is the event that really gets the story going. And again, you're trying to do three things here. You are addressing the need for change in action. And secondly, you're transforming the story and really drawing the reader in. And thirdly and finally, you're launching the reader onto the next stage of the story. And that next stage, the third stage, is the momentum stage. And it's likely to be the longest stage in the story. And this is the stage where you want to drive up the energy and momentum of your story. You want to use a consistent and distinctive voice as you develop your character's theme and setting. And you want to pull everything towards that crisis and the climax, which are stages four and five respectively. So stage four then is the crisis and this is the moment that signals to the reader that all of the decisions and actions that have been taken and all of the things that have happened up to this point have come together and it's now a real opportunity just in that crisis moment to present new aspects of your characters and their relationships and for their true metal, their true character to come out. And that then leads us into stage five, the climax, which is the clash of opposing forces, the clash of two opposing values. And an outcome from that clash has to come at this stage. And the result can be resounding and clear, or it can indeed be more subtle and relative, depending on the kind of story that you're trying to tell. And then that moves us into stage six, which is the one I'm going to talk about in this episode, the resolution, which is where we see any loose ends tied up and the consequences of the climax of the story played out. So let's have a closer look at that final resolution stage of story. And it might seem to you like a fairly straightforward task to finish a story. I mean, after all, what could be simpler than wrapping the story up, sticking the end in capital letters at the bottom of your work, sitting back and feeling satisfied that the job is well done? It sounds very easy, but of course it's not that easy. And you probably realise that. And it's not easy because there are still some very important things for you to do if you're going to write the best story that you possibly can. And in thinking about the resolution of the story, I'm again drawing on a number of experts in this area, including Robert McKee, the scriptwriter, Jean Cavellas, the editor and creative writing tutor, who I interviewed in episode 29. If you haven't heard that episode, it's worth going back and listening to what Jean has to say. So we're going to explore what I think are the two critical tasks that you need to bear in mind at the end of the story and also explore a couple of practical tips around that as well. First of all there's one important piece of context for the resolution stage and it's this. The resolution stage is not the outcome of the conflict in the climax phase, it's the consequences of that outcome. 
Let me explain what I mean by this. The climax stage is marked by a conflict between two different worldviews, two different sets of values, and the outcome of that conflict is part of the climax stage. So, for example, Harry Potter's battle with Voldemort is part of the climax stage. Harry's defeat of Voldemort is part of that climax stage as well. Lord of the Rings. The destruction of the ring in Lord of the Rings is in the climax stage of the story. In the first Star Wars film, Episode 4, A New Hope, Luke Skywalker's destruction of the Death Star is part of the climax stage. Now what comes next in all of these cases after the close of the climax is the resolution. In this stage, we see something that happens after the climax, after the battle. We see the consequences of the outcome of that climax. Bearing that in mind, let's have a look at the two tasks that you need to achieve in the resolution stage. And they're this. First of all, you need to tie up any loose ends, any unresolved subplots, any unanswered questions. And second, you need to show the implications and consequences of the climax. So let's have a look at the first of these, tying up any loose ends, any unresolved subplots and unanswered questions. So again, if we have a look at The Lord of the Rings, after the climax, we see quite a substantial amount of material. The marriage of Aragorn and Arwen, we see the Battle of Bywater, which is the battle to rid the Shire of the last of Saruman's followers. And then we see Sam Gamgee getting married, and of course Frodo going out to the Grey Havens. And the return of the hobbits to Hobbiton and Sam's marriage ties the very end of the story into the beginning. And this process of echoing things from the very beginning of your story right at the end is a really neat and useful trick. And speaking in episode 29, Jean Cavellus reminded us that it's a good idea to have a connection between the very end of your story and the very beginning. So you can pose a question or set a challenge at the beginning of your story and the reader has to wait all the way to the end to see it resolved. Alternatively, you can have a situation at the beginning of the story and have a complete reversal of that situation at the end. One of the things that you can do as you tie up all your subplots is to reveal something at the end of your story that was there all along, but that can only now be revealed. Something that you hint at all the way through the story, and perhaps some of your readers can spot, but you only make it plain at the end. Now I want to give you an example of this and normally I don't worry too much about giving spoiler alerts but I do want to give one now because the example I'm giving is from the Harry Potter series and it's one of the big spoilers if you like from that series. So if you really don't want to know what happens at the end of the Harry Potter series, fast forward about a minute now. Okay, so in that series, right at the end of the book, we discover that Severus Snape has really been working for Dumbledore and against Voldemort all this time. It's something that's hinted at on and off in all of the books, all the way through that series, and we see the final confirmation of it at the end. And it's an enormous relief and pleasure for the reader to see a question that's been hanging for so long finally answered. Jean Cavellos says this, the end of the story is the test of whether everything works. Here is the point where not just your climax has to be wrapped up, but all of the other subplots, all of the other incidental themes and characters and storylines have to come together. So that's the first of the two tasks in stage six, the resolution. You have to tie up all of your subplots. The second task during this resolution phase is to show the wider implications of the outcome of the climax. There is something deep in the human psyche that longs to see what actually happens as the result of a conflict. Your readers do not want the final scene of your work to simply be the dust settling on the battle with the surviving combatants putting their weapons away. 
They don't want to finish at that point. They want to see the consequences of the climax, to see what actually happens as a result. There's something in all of us that subconsciously is asking the question, so what do things look like now? So what is the actual consequences of what we've just seen? So again, for example, in the Harry Potter series, we're given a glimpse of how things will be in the future in the very final chapter of the last book as Harry, Ron and Hermione now as adults and parents bring their own children to the station to go to Hogwarts. And the implication there is that the things that were destroyed have been restored. So in your story, if the good guys win, we want to see celebration and restoration. For example, from the world of film, the final scene from that first Star Wars film, after the destruction of the Death Star, the rebels have won, the film doesn't finish there, what we then see is a kind of medal ceremony where Princess Leia gives a medal to Luke Skywalker and Chewie and Han Solo. And what happens there in that scene is that the bonds between the characters are, are affirmed. And as an audience, we feel satisfied because we're seeing the consequences of the resolution. Now, even if your ending is more ambivalent, the same basic thing applies. The readers still want to see how things are. For example, in Joe Abercrombie's first Law trilogy, there is a lot of ambivalence at the end. These are not just good versus evil characters, but still, the author shows us how the world order has been settled. In that resolution phase, essentially you're trying to do two things. You're wrapping the story up tidily. That doesn't mean everybody's happy, but there has to be some sense of resolution across your main plot and your subplots. And secondly, you're giving your readers a glimpse of how things are now. You haven't just finished at the end of the climax, they've had a glimpse of what the future is going to be like. And if you can achieve those two objectives, then you will bring your story to a satisfactory conclusion and your audience will be content. Now, in pursuit of those objectives, there are a couple of practical tips to bear in mind. The first one is this. Part of the success of your work depends on tying up the strands of your plot in a way that will be satisfying to the reader. We've mentioned that. Therefore, you might find it useful to think through your ending when you are still in the planning stage. It's the end of a story that needs the most planning, the most thinking through, especially if you've got a lot of subplots going, because you want to be able to tie those things in neatly. And many authors spend months or years planning their books before they write. Most of them will say that the one thing that they really do get worked out is the end. Now, there is no right way to approach this. Some writers are planners and some writers are pantsers. But however you do it, you'll need to be aware through planning or intuition that all of those details need to be tied up. So here's my next tip. Try not to be too neat when you're tying things up. Be real, certainly, and make sure you've covered things. But don't make your end too neat and therefore unbelievable. The Victorian writer Anthony Trollope declares that the end of a novel, like the end of a children's dinner party, must be made up of sweetmeats and sugar plums. Now, of course, Trollope was being a little bit ironic in saying that. He is perhaps half right in that there is a definite sense in which things have to come to a conclusion and a satisfactory conclusion. But sweetmeats, perhaps not quite that. Tying up the loose ends does not mean that everybody lives happily ever after. Life's not like that and neither should your story be. In Harry Potter, not all of the good guys live to see Harry's victory. In The Lord of the Rings, not all of the members of the Fellowship survive. And Luke Skywalker does not finish by going off to spend more time with his father. These mighty stories would have been diminished if everything had seemed too neat and too tidy. 
readers don't mind seeing pain and cost at the end of the story. They want to see that. They expect to see that. But what they don't want is to have things unresolved. Questions which have been brooding in their minds for your, for the whole of your book or perhaps a series of books. They don't want those questions left unanswered. So make your resolution mirror life. There are achievements and sadness. The cost of success can leave even your glorious protagonist feeling reflective and wistful. So finally, I just want to say something briefly about how to handle the resolution if you're writing a series of books. And someone wrote to me recently to ask about this, and my answer reflects the great stories that have been presented to us in series. And in fact, I alluded to this issue in episode 43 of the podcast. Essentially, the overall series needs to have a story arc. So it needs to have a story process of its own, and it will need to have its own crisis and climax and resolution. And within it, the individual stories or books that you're writing will have to have their own climaxes and resolutions as well, all of which feed into the overall story model for the series. And again, if we go back to the Harry Potter series, we can see a good example of this. The overall story model takes us towards that final conflict between Harry and Voldemort. And if we look at Lord of the Rings, we see the same thing. The overall story in those series of books takes us towards the final climax with the ring. But within that, there are different sub-stories and subplots. Think about the Harry Potter series, the Philosopher's Stone, that's a story in itself. The Goblet of Fire, that's a story within itself. From Lord of the Rings, the Battle of Helm's Deep is a story in itself. And all of these are separate but integrated stories. Each book in your series should take you closer to that overall conclusion, but that conclusion should be a separate thing that comes at the end. So that's all I wanted to say then in this episode, and today I have referred to the following works. Story by Robert McKee, published by Methuen Publishing. The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, published by HarperCollins. The Harry Potter series, published by Bloomsbury. The First Lord Trilogy by Joe Abercrombie, published by Galantz. And I've also referred to the work of the German playwright Gustav Freytag. Barchester Towers by Anthony Trollope, published by Oxford World Classics. And the editor and creative writing tutor Jean Cavellos and the Star Wars series. Now this episode marks the end of a series that I'm presenting on the six-stage story process. In a couple of episodes time I'm going to come back and talk about a different dimension of writing and that will be character. But in the meantime for the next episode I'm delighted to be able to tell you that that episode is going to be an interview with the literary agent, editorial consultant and freelance editor Julie Crisp. Now, Julie has over 15 years of experience working across three major publishing houses in the UK and Australia. She's edited some best-selling authors, including people whose work I absolutely love. People like Anne Cleves, Peter F. Hamilton, China Mieville, Neil Asher, Amanda Hocking, Naomi Novik. Now, we had a wonderful conversation, Julie and I, and I do recommend that episode to you. It'll be available on Friday the 18th of September 2015. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with me, you can do so. Just drop me an email, andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com, or you can visit our Creative Writers Toolbelt group on Goodreads. So I'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with that interview with Julie. Until then, thank you for listening and goodbye. (laughs) 